Dr. Monica Vermani. She is a psychologist, uh, author, and I'm going to say an amazing TEDx speaker and so many other interesting things. Welcome to the I Am Unbreakable podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me here. Such a gift. And I can see in the back, you've got your book. Mm -hmm. Tell us very, very quickly what your book is about, sort of in a very short version, because your book, it's just filled with such knowledge and it, it's just a great foundation for so many amazing things. So can you just talk to us a little bit about your book? A deeper Wellness is really about conquering your high stress, mood, anxiety, and traumas. And it's helping people have useful tools on a day-to-day -day basis on how to work through wherever you're at, whoever you are, looking at your life with a magnifying glass to become a better, higher version of yourself. I love that. And I feel like the little bit, I, I got to be honest, I haven't read the whole thing, but the little bit I've read, I love what you said that you can sort of go to this uh, book and you can utilize it as a toolbox, but at any stage and sort of any age, right? Because people in their journeys that what I find and you know what I do for a living as well, and having people sort of at very different stages of their lives and their journeys, I love the fact that they can implement your strategies and weave it into their daily life sort of whenever. Am I correct in saying that? You are, and we're all perfect and a work in progress. So wherever you are, whether you've been in therapy and working on yourself or you're new to it, it's about understanding your symptoms. We all have problems in our lives because we're all living a human journey. And in this journey comes suffering and suffering is often a catalyst for change. But some of our symptoms, symptoms can be problematic, like physiological symptoms of mood, anxiety, or trauma that bubble up in our life, negative thoughts that make us feel paralyzed. Everything that's ever been created in life started with a thought and good or bad, our thoughts shape us. And many times when we're in a spiral of anxiety, high stress, anxiety uh, related to traumas and depression, we start having negative thoughts play again. We start having anxious loops of thoughts. And we also have maladaptive behaviors that sometimes we do, avoidance, denial, procrastination, mm -hmm. alcohol, drugs, sometimes just things to take the edge off like comfort food, or, you know, suppressing our emotions and not dealing with the day-to-day -day stress that our body is trying really, really hard for you to heal and address. So I, the yeah. symptoms get louder and louder until you address it. And this book, whether you have time or money um, that is scarce and you're having a hard time making the time for therapy, this is a good book to start to just get your feet wet until you can make the time and energy to really heal and maybe get professional support. I love that. And you know what, Monica, you said so many important things and I never like to interrupt, but you, you, you know, you really touched on sort of a, a few key factors for me and, you know, I'm huge when it comes to uh, mental health uh, advocacy and um, a mental health ally. I do a lot of work in that field for professional and personal reasons. And, you know, you touched on things that a lot of people don't touch on. Number one, I find that uh, the generation sort of coming up, um, they are very addicted to food. Uh, food is a big issue and people, nobody wants to talk about it. I mean, I'm European and breaking bread is the way that we lived, right? And it was all about the food and whatnot. But I find um, sort of like 
I'm going to, I don't really even want to categorize the generations, but um, I do find that they are really struggling with um, sort of self, self soothing themselves with food. And then you also touched on the fact that starting your journey, it doesn't matter where you are, but start, right? And I love the fact that you're not saying, well, you've got to start with therapy and you've got to start with this, where, you know, obviously it could be a combination of medication, therapy, exercise, healthy and, you know, well living. But I feel like you're just saying, you know, just start here. It, it, it's, it doesn't have to be a mountain. You're saying step one. And I think one reason why we don't, you know, work on ourselves is we look at where we want to be from where we are and we feel overwhelmed with how much we have to change or how much we have to do. And the key is taking actionable steps, baby steps to at least go in the right direction. And so we all got stress. We all have, you know, stress is when your activity level surpasses your energy level. Activity is physical, but also mental. You can only cut down how much you have to do. You still got to work. You got to go to school. You got to do things. The other journey then, if you can't cut things out of your life, is to bring up your energy levels. And yeah. energy levels are as simple as the food we eat and watching the depressants we bring in our life. Alcohol, drugs can pull us down. Comfort foods like heavy carbs and certain foods we crave pull us down with, you know, weigh us screen down. Time, like video games, video yeah. games, screen time for the young, younger generation. You know, they're constantly mesmerized in this state of hypnosis. And it's like, that cannot be good for them. So anything, like you said, that's sort of taking us away from our natural state, anything that's sort of putting us into uh, a state that wouldn't be natural. So whether it's drinking drugs, video games, any kind of outside procrastination, procrastination, denial, avoidance, over busyness, like many of us keep ourselves so busy. So we're distracted. So we don't have to listen to the symptoms that bubble up when we're in silence, which is why my book's about trauma. Many times when you're in silence and dead air time, things that bubble up to the surface are unfinished business, like emotional debris, things from the past that you haven't had time to process, or you've personalized experiences that really are not serving your highest and best. And it's about, you know, reprogramming the narratives and the stories we tell ourselves that hold ourselves back. I love that. And, you know, somebody throughout my journey, wellness journey, and everybody has one, you know, I, I can't remember who I was watching, but he was so incredibly informative by saying, you know, as humans, there is suffering, there is struggle, but it's, what do you do with the struggle? What do you do with and when you're in the face of adversity? What do you do with that? Actually, my TED Talk is about how do you look in the face of tragedy and who are you in the face of tragedy because it's not easy i mean they always say that when things are are good you know you just kind of coast along but you know there should never be big huge drops it's kind of hills and valleys right and i feel that just exactly what you're saying is that just deal with it you know if you kind of sweep it under the rug which you know i was brought up by a baby boomer and that was essentially what we were told is, you know, sh you're, you're fine, you're good, don't worry about it. And under the rug, it went. And then, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, you're still sort of dealing with the same thing, which is why I love your message so much. You're essentially saying, you know, let's talk about it, whatever it is, good, bad, indifferent, let's talk about it. Now, your TED Talk, 
we could have a whole podcast all on that because I so resonate with everything you've said. Um, you know, I think it's called, I believe it's called uh, Think About It, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what really stood out to me, and this is such an important message for young women, women of all ages and all stages, just when you were talking about the thoughts of self-doubt and judgment, is so important. And I, I'm going to ask you a personal question that I know hundreds and thousands of women struggle with. So when growing up, I was always told by counselors and schools, like I just learned different back in the day, they didn't have IEPs, or they didn't identify if somebody was a visual learner, or however people learn, they just learn differently. Uh, but they didn't do that then. And they always told me, you know, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough you know, you're not going to get good, you know, you don't have the grades, go marry rich, um, have a few kids, you'll be fine away you go little girl. And that could have destroyed me. And that could have taken me into a life of addiction, uh, a life that I don't have today. And now it affected me immensely, but it did the opposite for me. So those words fueled me. And I can't say that they never got me down because I would be lying. Of course they affected you. Um, but you only, I only kind of allowed myself to stay in that. Let's call it, I call it for me, not for anybody else. I allowed myself to have this little pity party and say, okay, that sucks. That wasn't nice. Not sure why they're saying that that's not my belief. And I got out of it and I use that rejection or, uh, those situations to fuel me. Many people don't, and many people can't. So I'm asking you as the expert, what advice do you give your clients or can you give our viewers that when they're told they're not good enough, they're not strong enough, and they start to believe the, or the judgments they they create on themselves, I'm going to fail. What if it doesn't work out? What is your secret or what is your- You know, when I look at children- It's such a beautiful thing. When you look at children, you know, they look in the mirror and I have a beautiful picture of my niece doing this. She's looking in the mirror in awe of herself. We're not judging fat, ugly, stupid, smart, not good enough, not capable. And so you look at this beautiful person looking at herself in awe in the mirror. And each and every one of us started that way. And then, you know, you compare it to your sibling and you take, I'm not good enough, or you fail a math test and you feel like I'm not smart enough or you know, you're struggling in school and you're like, I'm not gonna be successful. We start holding on and personalizing experiences with negative labels. Life is a series of experiences until you, with your own mindset, your own blueprint, your own narratives, judge your experiences as either positive or negative. And so if you remove the judgment, life is just a series of experiences and try and try again until you get to where you want to go. But many times when we have one negative experience an isolated event is not a never-ending pattern but we personalize it like it will be and we get scared of uncertainty we get scared of bad things repeating over and over and our anxiety or fear is about self-doubt i don't know if i could handle happening going through that again that self-doubt is also a belief system and a thought make your faith bigger than your fear i often say and faith is believing in your skill set that life only gives you what you can handle I've worked with so many trauma patients that floor me and surprise me. And time and time again, 
astonished me on how resilient and strong each and every one of us are. I've had patients read to me their story and say, if I read this in a book, I would have been like, I can't handle that. And here I am handling it. Each and every one of us doubt our own skill set, but doubt is a thought. And a lot of what we do in therapy is reconceptualize concepts our parents have given us, ancestral trauma or immigrant parent scarcity stories. We take all these thoughts and fears and we hold on to them. And a little bit of our journey as an adult, which we started very pure, but our journey as an adult is to unpack and reframe and restructure and reconceptualize narratives and stories that don't look, that don't work for your highest and best. I love that. And you know what, that is probably the best advice or the best sort of an easiest way to frame something so incredibly complicated. And I also work with very, very traumatic situations, whether it's, uh, you know, senior abuse, elder abuse, the loss of a child, uh, the kidnapping of a, of a, of a child, child custody, divorce, infidelity, you name it. And these people and clients have taught, I think both you and I such resiliency. And I almost look at my life and think, geez, like if they can come through this and still find, you know, a way to put their feet on the ground every day and still be able to breathe and to function as an adult and be able to, you know, encompass acceptance and forgiveness. And like you said, and change the narrative around what experience they have had. I think that is really the key. And I think that's such a gift what you're giving people by giving that message. And what you said earlier, it's not just one route. It's not just the thoughts. You've got to look at your state, your body, your mind, you know, the energy in your space, the people you are with. It is a multitude of factors that make us stay in dysfunction and also uplift ourselves out of dysfunction. And so, you know, I, I love the lotus flower, which is a, a part of my logo. And it's because it's a beautiful flower, but it grows in swamp water. Each and every one of us have our swamp water, have our dysfunction. We're coming from child abuse or, you know, upbringings with mood, anxiety, and trauma or alcoholism. People all have stories of how, where they came from sometimes tainted them or tainted their view of life. But each and every one of us have to learn to see the beauty amongst the chaos. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I think uh, our my tagline somewhere tatted on my body, on my arm, is the struggle is part of the story. But it's not your whole story. And I think your message about the lotus flower is very similar. Like, we get it. Everybody has stuff. Everybody has struggles. And my thing is, it is part of your story. Now, a lot of people will say, well, don't look backwards. It causes depression. That is true. Don't look forward because it causes anxiety to live in the moment is so incredibly important not always easy and not always possible but I feel that sometimes looking backwards to see how far you've come or to say hey I got through that I'm gonna get through this too what did I do back then don't you think that's a healthy thing to look back I love looking back to see how far I've grown and to me all suffering is a catalyst for change so regardless of what we've gone through, don't get me wrong, I've, you know, worked with brain and spinal cord injury patients who are paralyzed from the neck down and the hip down. People go through enormous suffering in life. 
but everybody is taught things. There's lessons behind everything. And we all foster a level of catalyst for change. We change our mindset. We remove judgment. We see our resilience and our strength. And sometimes we change life for our betterment or the loved ones around us. When you're in pain, you spill over onto others. When you're working on healing, there's also a ripple effect. And I, I find if you choose to stay stuck in the pain and suffering of the story, you sometimes don't see the growth and resilience and the lessons that also make you remarkable as a person. I love that. You know, that is so brilliant. A lot of times it is about changing your narrative. Somebody that I uh, very much respect and care for taught me, you know, a lot of times when you're going through things, it's like, I feel so sad. I, you know, why me? You feel whatever. And then somebody just said to me, feelings are not facts. And I'm like, well, that kind of sounds like you're dis- diminishing, you know, the the experience I'm having. And they're like, no, like definitely feel how you need to for the moment. But feeling sad and feeling this and feeling certain things, feelings are not facts. Do you believe that? I think you're saying the same thing about thoughts. I'm going to add to it because I agree with you completely. Feelings are not facts. But the one thing I realize when people suffer, we don't have compassion for our suffering. Instead, we do self-scrutiny, judgment, criticism. We're hard on ourselves. And that's, I think, where the problem perpetuates. Mm. You got to look at in your pain, are you personalizing it? Are you blame, shame, and guilting yourself? Are you looking at yourself with self-scrutiny and negative judgment? Or are you looking at yourself with love and compassion? Correct and continue. How do I move forward? How do I grow from this? How do I forgive myself for things that I could have done better or I could have chosen better? And it's okay for us to realize life is a series of experiences. Nobody's judging your life. You're born in with your first breath into the world and you die with your last breath out alone. It's an individual journey amongst a collective. You bring people in, you take people out. We're constantly learning in our interaction with our surroundings. Key is, are you doing it with compassion, love, and forgiveness in your heart? Or are you doing it with scrutiny, judgment, fear, and self-doubt? Well, that's the, that's the million dollar question. When you do it with all the self-doubt and scrutiny, I think that's where people run into problems, right? And absolutely. And when we do it, you know, rejection, I look at now or people saying, no, I I'm like, perfect or bad things happen. I'm like, okay, where's the lesson? Cause you know, after, like you said, growth doesn't happen when you're sitting comfy on your couch, eating potato chips. I think growth happens when you're walking through, you know, fire and you're doing, you know, the fire walk, walking on top of hot coals and glass because you're showing yourself I'm resilient. I can get through this. And even though the pain and the hell that people go through and we do have to be empathetic and we do have to be um, sell, we have to forgive ourselves. I feel like we forgive other people so much easier sometimes than we forgive ourselves and we're meaner to ourselves than we are to other people. You know, often uh, my conversation with my clients might be similar to yours is that, you know, if you treated your friends the way you treat yourself with that self-talk of negativity, you probably wouldn't have any friends. And so you just nailed it by saying, as long as it is done in a place of forgiveness, love and self-care, what do you think about forgiveness for people? Don't you think it's one of the biggest healing sort of tools that people can give themselves? 
Yeah, forgiveness is really about you looking at the judgment you've placed on the pain and suffering. And so when we're angry at others, we don't sometimes see our part in it of staying, of, of, of personalizing pain and of sometimes taking people's pain. Like I always say, when you're in pain, you spill over into others. I worked in prisons and corrections for a very long time with women in prison and men in prison and sex offenders. And the one thing I learned, it's not about judging. You know, like I said, as children, we're born with this awe of seeing the world, but we're also imprinted by blueprints of where we come from and the abuse we go through or the things we learn from anger or anxiety or poor coping skills that sometimes our family members have or people around us have. And when they're in pain, they're spilling over onto you. And many of us hold on to people's pain, personalize things that happen to them and put labels on I'm damaged, I'm broken, I'm not good enough. You're more than that. You're worthy of love just the way you are. And it's amazing. Sometimes I have patients in my office who say, you know, I unconditionally love my kid. I might be disappointed in them, but whatever they do, I'll still love them. And I said, isn't it sad how you can unconditionally love your child, but you struggle with unconditionally loving yourself? I love we that. We teach our children to really love themselves if we don't do it for ourselves. That is, that is so incredible. And I think you need to make a t-shirt saying that <laughs> quite frankly, in a smaller version, because self-love is really the core of happiness, confidence, right? Self-acceptance and just saying, you know what? I'm the best I can be today. I'm the best I can be now. I can grow. I can do things better. I can try things differently. But I feel like what you're saying really is that the big message is, is to love and forgive yourself and everything else sort of will fit into place. Yeah. Like you said, with now, you know, we're human beings with human emotions and they go up and down. Our states are constantly changing due to hormones, due to food we eat, due to the weather. Seasonal blues are coming about soon. Like when it comes down to it, we go up and down and always remind yourself when you're in a moment of negativity, despair, you know, sadness or self-scrutiny, this is a moment in time and this moment will pass and allowing yourself compassion to give yourself permission to be wherever you're at, but then also bring in the tools and the resources and the people and the books and the friends to lift you out of a dark place, got uh, around yourself, give yourself permission to be your VIP, very important person, eat well, exercise, get a calm state of mind by having the right resources around you. Make sure that you're not keeping yourself stuck with things around you that also keep you in a negative state. I love that. And the thing is too, I think what you're saying is amazing, but as women, especially as women and mothers and entrepreneurs and fur baby mamas, whatever you are, we are busy. We are so many things to so many people. Uh, if you saw the Barbie movie, uh, you, you know, the scene where uh, America basically says, you know, women needs to be this and a taxi driver and a this, but not too much of this. So we really do. I find that our generation really has put us last. And I feel now that with things like your book and with everybody talking about self-care and self-love, I feel that we are 
coming a little bit more back and being more forgiving and giving ourselves that space, whether it's, and I'm not always saying it's a bubble bath. It could be running around the block. It could be walking through nature. It could be a 10 minute meditation of mindfulness, whatever it is you're saying, care for yourself, give yourself that permission and space to either get out of your mindset because you and I could talk about it all day long, but don't tell me that you don't have moments because I definitely do. I think we are all human. You said we're all perfect. I always say we're perfectly imperfect. And so I think we're saying the exact same thing where we're going to have our days, we're going to have our moments. And it's what do you do with that moment and how do you get out of it? You're give, is that what sort of you're saying is give yourself the space and have the tools to be able to cope? And have compassion for the days that you don't feel able to cope. And when it comes down to it, you know, each and every one of us have to recognize that we're resilient, we're strong, we're capable. We just doubt ourselves. The literature does support and suggest women have a heavier load. And as much as we, you know, become a little bit more egalitarian and step up and wearing the pants, whatever you want to call it, all we've done is added to our plate instead of asking for help and receiving so one reason why there's more burnout rates is we're trying to do it all instead of, okay, I've taken on this new role of not only just being a nurturer, caregiver, family member, cooking, cleaning, man managing things. I've also now added work and other pressures and wanting to succeed. It's okay to do it all, but it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to, you know, delegate. It's okay to cut corners and say, you know, I would say a kept home is an unlived life. Give yourself permission to let things go and not always have to be perfect. That concept of perfection or needing to do it all or be it all many times does burn us out. And I think it doesn't, it, you know, I think perfectionism, that's a whole nother podcast, which I'd love to do with you. I think it gives certain things like if you're creative, it will give you really good line work, for example, but outside of your line work and your home and being an artist, it could really hurt you in your personal life and in other ways. So I think what you're saying is, you know, balance, everything is a balancing act, right? It's okay to have a little bit of this, but make sure that, you know, you're throwing it off by lifting the scales and balancing them together. So it, it really is sort of a balancing and a juggling act. But I loved when you said about delegating asking for help. I struggled with that for years. Your words of wisdom to me are worth their weight in gold because I know that growing up, it was tough to sort of find somebody or find a resource or find, let's just say even a female mentor that you could go to and you could look up to. And you are doing, aside from your amazing practice, you've got your book, you've got your TED talk, and you have so many things going on. I guess my question to you is, do you self-care and do you consider yourself unbreakable? I definitely do. Um, I think we all have our moments of feeling broken or moments of feeling weak. People will look at me and I'm sure they're going to look at you in your many different amazing platforms that you uh, speak on. And people are always like, oh my gosh, you're so strong. And you're so, I wish I was like you. And I just sit back and I let them talk. And then I say, do you know why 
you think that I'm unbreakable or why you think I'm so strong. It's because I've been broken so many times and it's about what I did in the moment. So you can, like you said, you can go to addiction. You could kind of lie down and take a couple years off and lie in bed, or you can sort of put your resources, so to speak, which would be your family, your friends, your doctors, um, you know, literature, learning, anything you can get your hands on. And you could definitely assist yourself by being open to getting help when you need it. You know, we all have a story. And I think we have to always honor that the story changes with our suffering. And it so does. suffering is always a catalyst for change, whether it's overcoming symptoms, overcoming traumas, or not personalizing things. And so each and every one of us, I think, are remarkable. We're perfect and a work in progress. So I do believe we always can fine tune and try to become a better version of us. Um, managing life, I've asked so many professors, mentors, people that I respect, how do you balance? How do you self-care amongst the chaos? And everybody is figuring it out. So the one thing I love every answer I have received is I haven't got that right yet, Monica. I'll tell you when I know. <laughs> so is that your answer to me when I ask you how you self-care? So I've learned with my years to work through any codependency where you need to be needed or you need to be liked and I've learned to say no, and no is setting a boundary, and a boundary is about self-protection. And sometimes we learn to break unhealthy habits that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And self-care for me as a middle-aged woman is a lot better than it was when I was a younger version of me. When I look back, I see how far I've come, and I realize I still have a long way to go. When it comes down to here and now, at this point in my life and my journey, I'm at a really good place to have love, compassion, forgiveness, be playful, laugh at my mistakes, and just realize everything has its place for your growth. I and love that. The self-care is, I think, a work in progress. But I had an acupuncturist once say, eight hours work, eight hours play, and eight hours sleep. Who lives that way? I have no idea. <laughs> well, when you find out, please let me know because I'm moving there because you're right. It's it's just not like that. So you do self-care though, and you will take the time by the sounds of it. And I'm not saying you've got it perfect. And I'm not saying you still don't oh, do yes. 60, 70, 90 hour weeks. I get that. But it seems like we are, as women, we are all coming together to say, hey, burnout is real. Self-care is necessary. And give yourself the space and permission to do so. And I'll add to that, you know, sometimes our bad habits come from good places, but we have to, with maturity, understand when to let go of things that no longer serve us. So for example, I'm from immigrant parents. I'm born and raised here, but my dad had a disability growing up from a work accident. And I grew up super fast. I've been doing two to three jobs since 15. You get so used to juggling that it becomes your norm and your new set point. It doesn't mean it's healthy, but at one point I needed to do that and I did it. And then it became a lifestyle. Mm. And at some point working on myself, I was blessed to have meditation teachers around since I was 14. 
And so I've learned, you know, different various types of meditation. I brought it into my psychology world as an adult. I've done great work with military 9-11 responders uh, with a breath, body, mind program with two psychiatrists in New York. I've learned from phenomenal people who've learned to shape themselves, to understand how to be a better version of themselves. But the key thing I've learned is we're all working on ourselves. It's important for you to pause and reflect, reconceptualize what's working for me and what's just an old habit that I got really comfortable with. I exercise the muscle of juggling, it grew. Exercising rest, replenishment, boundaries was one that I had to learn over time. And some of that came from suffering, some of that came from illness, some of that came from you know, being so overstretched that I thought I was gonna hit burnout. And we all have those crossroads to realize, okay, something's got to change. This worked for me once, time to change. That is, wow, that is really important for people to hear because I think we're at a crossroads in several different stages of our life. And I think we, you know, reflecting and, you know, as I'm almost finished writing my book, I look at those crossroads and I think, geez, if I hadn't gone left and I had gone right, I haven't a clue how my life would be. Don't even really want to think about how my life would have turned out. But I love the fact that you bring it up in a way that people can visualize that they have a choice. And that's the the neat thing about storytelling and about your life is that you're the author, the actor, actress, the narrator, and you get to decide how the story plays out and how it ends. Now, I get sometimes uh, experiences happen, I always say for us as opposed to to us, but how how you react is 100% within your control. And I think that that's sort of the message that you say as well throughout a lot of your teachings from what I've read. Yeah, and the reaction is also about the people you choose to bring into your space. Mentors, colleagues, asking for help, asking people how they did it. When I see somebody I judge as lesser than me, it shows how far I've grown. And when I see somebody that I judge as better than me, I realize I can acquire the skill and become it. But how are we going to know what people are going through if we don't ask and communicate? These podcasts are remarkable because we help each other realize what a human journey it is. And instead of being a human doer and doing it all alone, we can be a human being and connect with one another. That is such an awesome sort of closing statement. Dr. Monica Vermani. I cannot tell you how incredibly blessed and fortunate people are to be able to hear you, read what you have to say, listen to your TEDx. You've got so many things out there. We're obviously going to include all your socials in the description. Thank you so much. I know you'll be joining us on a few other podcasts, but you and I can talk for hours and hours because you have so much to offer as a gift to the world. I really do look at it as an offering for people to be able to choose how they live their lives and how their journey plays out. Thank you very much. And God bless. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you. Thank you.